Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks with Leif Hetland. We invite you into the conversation and celebration of what God is doing around the world through his sons and daughters. Leif shares insights into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, hello everyone. I am Leif and welcome to Kingdom Family Talk. And I have this honor of having uh, Bill Johnson with me. And uh, Bill and his wife, Benny, they are the senior leaders of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And they're also leading this great movement of, of churches of, that are in passionate revival around the world. Uh, they do have three children, as well as uh, also a son-in-law and two daughters-in-law and 10 grandkids. And for me, I've had the honor, I think it's actually this year, it's 20 years ago since I first met you, Bill. And I am very excited about this time together. Oh, me too. Me too. It's always fun to be with you anywhere. And by the <laughs> way, I now have 11 grandchildren. Wow. <laughs> Dan just, just adopted their second uh, uh, adoption uh, child. So we, we have 11. So I'm a, I'm a rich man. You're a rich man, yeah. Well, I was actually just just one thought. I remember there's so many memories, but Washington Crossing United Methodist Church. I yeah. still remember uh, you and Randy Clark and myself did this uh, healing school, and you had that one testimony about I think it was Chris's name was with Club Feet, and you just shared that testimony. And I had had, of course, my car accident, and my foot lacked ten degrees. And at that moment, it was the first Create America I experienced in America. And later on, I got to see Create America. And I remember I sat by the side of Randy and said, look at this. And my foot grew and a miracle happened. And you shared that testimony and 19 other people got healed. So just that, I'm grateful forever. I'm walking differently because of you, Bill. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it, I, re- I remember that moment. That was, that was just amazing <laughs> that he would show up in a testimony like that and do it again. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. Now, one of the things I wanted to, to ask you, uh, there's so many life lessons you have taught me. And one of them has to do with uh, how you have been dealing with things or having a heart posture in times of adversity. Uh, seen you through losses. I've seen you through disappointments, through different things that has happened. So how can you help us? Because I've been in a season myself where I've had great loss, where there's been disappointments, where some of my friends and heroes around me is falling. And you, you go through all of those things. And how can we help people to navigate that? I don't know anybody that has done it as well as you have over the years. Um, well, thanks, first of all. It's uh, Proverbs 4.23 says to watch over the heart with all diligence. It's not a, uh, because from it flow the issues of life. It's not an invitation to introspection. It's a responsibility to watch attitudes and values. And um, for me, oftentimes where I want to go in life is in the opposite direction of adverse winds. And what you know, a, a sailboat can sail against the wind. It's called tacking. And it's the proper use of the rudder and the sail. The sail is the attitude of the heart. The rudder is, the, is our speech. And by monitoring those two areas of my life, I can advance against difficult times. And that's what I think it is. I think it's just, I can't make things happen, but I can guard my heart. I can guard my conversation. I guard my heart. It means I, I'm careful of what I'm willing to think about. Uh, 
you know, if I if I watch what I think about, I won't have to watch what I say. Comes <laughs> out of out of what I dwell on. So, I, I think that's a huge part of it. You know, is just to be careful on what I what I'm willing to entertain and dwell on. Um, all of us have discouraging things happen. Um, my personal approach is that when there's loss and disappointment, all those things then I want to come before the Lord and give him an offering that costs me. Mm -hmm. I'll never have a chance in eternity to give him praise in the middle of pain and discouragement and loss because there won't be any. There'll be no tears there. So I won't have the chance to give him that kind of an offering. So I want to grab my once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to give him that uh, sacrifice. It's cost me something. And I want to make sure that to honor the Lord. So I, I give him, for example, if I'm having an economic uh, crisis, I praise him as Jehovah Jireh. If I have a friend, a loved one die uh, from disease, I honor him as the healer. Um, I go opposite to what circumstances say, and I minister to him in that area until I sense a, a release. Mm. Uh, it's, it's important for me to hear his amen to what I'm doing. Beautiful. I was just thinking, I know about you and myself. Uh, Papa Jack was very, very precious to us. And I know for me, the last 21 years, every day, we've pretty much been talking and leaning heart. And and uh, first of all, I wanted to ask you in regard to what influence did Papa Jack have on your life? Or I know you became friends over the years and, and he, I mean, you meant so much to him. He was such an encouragement, you know, uh, he heard me talk about my dad once, and he, he was always an encouragement to me, and he heard, uh, Jack was. And he heard me talk about my dad once as the greatest encouragement of my life. And my dad died, oh, I think, 16 years ago, 17 years ago. And he came to me after he heard me talk about my dad as being the greatest encouragement of my life. And he said, I will be that for you. Wow. And that's what he was. He he would just send me notes and phone calls, and you know he he just lived selfless. You know he he just he, it, it was almost convicting. His <laughs> attention to the details of my life made me want to pay attention to the details of people around me. You know he he just uh, he was such a strength and encouragement to me. I, uh, I heard him speak in Toronto, you know, 20 some years ago, 25 years ago. And, uh, and I, uh, my secretary came to me many years after that and said, uh, Jack Taylor called. And I thought, well, it can't be the Jack Taylor I know of, <laughs> the one from, that I heard speak because he was such a, a giant uh, of the faith. And she played the phone recording back, and I heard Jack's voice. That's the Jack Taylor. I couldn't believe in my office. And uh, and ever since then, we developed a friendship and a really a real strength. He was a strength to me. Yeah, so beautiful. Uh, I'm also curious about in this season the cost of following Jesus. I think sometimes in our theology, and uh, I'm where you are at in regard, I'm part of the Bethel family, part of Bethel here in Atlanta is my home church. Yeah. But, but sometimes this whole fellowship of the suffering and even a cost of following Jesus and also even in regard to obedience, lordship. And I know there's something that's very dear to you. And sometimes I think people misunderstand uh, sometimes uh, some other things. So, what are you saying in regard to it? Because I think that there's a lot of people that value him just 
for the Savior and what he's going to do for them. But I know that you also have a very clear message. Of, I mean, you're living radical obedience and that's at the same time, but also he's the Lord of your life. And I think it is something that is needed in this season because that's what's kept me in the middle of, I just came from the Middle East the day when Papa Jack died. And But it is this, I've taken that cross up and follow Jesus and continue to do it. Uh, any wisdom on that, though, because in a season of <laughs> so much shaking. You know, I... I, uh, I I hear you. I, I feel like it's probably something that we've not emphasized enough uh, as the price to say yes. Um, my reasoning is is right, but I don't think my response is right. So let me explain my, re- my reasoning is it's costly to follow Jesus, but it's more costly to not follow Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's an eternal consequence. And, uh, and so I, uh, another thing that I, I realized in my, in my life with the Lord is I laid down everything I, I did. I laid, I didn't care if I ever owned a possession. I didn't care. It, I, I, I laid down every dream, everything. All I wanted was just to follow him and do what he said to do. And I, I literally, I just laid down all personal aspirations, goals, ambitions, dreams, all the stuff. It just didn't matter to me anymore. And, um, but what I found was, is that you can't lay something down without him giving you something back that's greater. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I just don't talk about what I laid down <laughs> because it pales in comparison to what he put in my life. Okay. Well, it's, it's like, it's, I, I, I attribute it to like traveling around the world and I collect these pebbles from every nation. And Jesus says, give those up. And I go, these are, I've collected them from all over the world. He says, give them up. So I give them up and he replaces them with diamonds. It's really hard to complain about having him replace those little pebbles with diamonds. I mean, it's, and that's his life to me is he has replaced everything I've ever laid down with something so far greater. And, um, Anyway, that's uh, it's it costs everything to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, Winky Prattney told us years ago, great. Uh, uh, I, I think he's a self-proclaimed world's uh, oldest youth pastor, something like <laughs> yeah. great, great Bible teacher and a wonderful friend. Uh, but he he told us years ago. He said, "You don't try Jesus. He doesn't come in trial sizes, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he comes only as Lord of all." And and that's. You know, you have to know him that way. Everybody has to know him that way because that's that's where you step into what you were born for. Uh, you, you, you don't get it by mixing a little bit of Jesus with a little bit of my dreams and my will and my intentions. It doesn't work that way. It just, the only way it works is an absolute yes to him. And then he adds back into our life whatever is necessary. Yeah. When it comes to, if, if you were to speak to me, I'm 55 and a little bit behind you and Randy, and but I'm also in the process now of stewarding Papa Jack's legacy. And I'm actually take some days off. Uh, I have another dear friend who died, uh, who, who who led a huge legacy just recently. Uh, so I had two funerals that I just finished. Wow. And it both of them have had a huge impact on me. And I'm now going to the beach uh, in a couple of weeks just to take time 
So I, I do want to finish well, Bill, and I do want to burn brightly without burning out. So I was going to ask you if you were to speak to a 55-year-old or sort of people that are 30 or so, but some of the perhaps mistakes or life lessons, or what would you speak to the, a 55-year-old Leif Hatlin or going back to Bill Johnson or some changes or differences or things you would do differently or focus on or any wisdom you have there? I, um. Probably one of the strongest lessons I'm still learning, but I learned early on. I, I approached ministry that God was number one, family was number two, church was number three. You have this list. And when I became a pastor, I found that the list didn't work for me. And what I found was, is that when God is number one, there is no number two. There, there isn't a sequence of service. You don't serve God, then serve family. And what that did is it led me into a place where I began to learn that he cares about every part of my life. And for me, everything is as unto the Lord. If I'm giving to a missionary to help the mission work in Africa, that's wonderful. If I'm giving a birthday gift to my child, it's equally wonderful. Mm. If I am going uh, on a crusade and I'm going to preach the gospel, or I'm going to take my family on a vacation, both are equally valuable before the Lord. Mm. And what I learned to do is, is if, if, think about this with me, when you do something, let's say that you give something sacrificially to help somebody who is homeless or poor or something. Well, you know it's important. You know it's valuable. You know the Lord delights in it. And there's a certain amount of emotional oh, kind of a feedback that we get, that we feel good about what we just did. It's an important part of life. There's, there's, kind, of a, uh, there's kind of a kickback of encouragement for having done the right thing. The problem is, is that most of us don't get that same kind of kickback of feeling good about what we did when we do when we go to the little league game of our of my grandchild or when I buy my wife a purse or when I, you know, I, I take something that seems to be a rather natural uh, endeavor. When whenever I do those things as unto the Lord, then there's actually spiritual nutrients that I get to draw from. And if I only qualify, you know, I'm giving to the missionary and that I know is right, and I feel good about that. I tie it to the church. I do all this stuff. But I don't realize that what I'm doing to help my friend or um, what I'm doing to encourage my wife, what I'm doing to bless my grandchildren, if I don't see that as equally spiritual, then I'm not receiving the spiritual nutrients that I could be receiving from that act. Okay. So I don't know. If it's, it's a long way around your question, but I feel like it's very, very valuable. Most of the people that I know in ministry receive encouragement from having done the right thing, but they don't realize how spiritual and how profound doing the natural things are to their spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Jesus put it this way. He says, you gave the cup of cold, cold water. You did that to me. So Jesus takes it personal. Mm -hmm. So then it's possible for me to take the simplest non-sacrificial act i just all i'm doing is giving attention to somebody who needs a glass of water and jesus takes it personal 
So how much more does he take personal when I take my wife shopping or when I take a friend out to dinner or I get on the floor to play with my grandchild? Um, the Lord takes that personal. So I might as well be intentional in what I do so that I can honor the Lord with my action. Wow. And that means that if, if I live that way, then every single part of my day is a day that can bring me encouragement. There's Beautiful. no break from what feeds me emotionally, spiritually, mentally. There's no break. It's a mm -hmm. constant flow because everything is as under the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I still remember, actually, we had a conversation of that that helped me. And I've actually received a lot of encouragement from people because people say, you're very present. And I said, it started actually, you and I were in Castle Rock, Colorado and with Randy 14 years ago. And I asked that question. I was very frustrated. I was trying to figure out how me and God and family and the same thing. And you shared some of those things with me. And at the age of 41, I started yeah. to implement that. And it has had a life-changing process. I mean, if I'm with, yeah. it doesn't matter who I'm with, if that's my staff, but I've, that's just been something that I've, I'm, I'm practicing it, but I've become better and better at it to be present with his presence where I'm at, if that's in a movie with my son or whatever it is. But it was, it was one of those life changing moments for me. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so I really do appreciate that. What are the legacy that you would like to leave here on earth, Bill? Have you thought about that? <laughs> uh, I know you're going to be around for a while. So, <laughs> well, you know, um, probably that I was a good husband and a good dad, you know, a, a good grandpa. All, all the other stuff is, you know, is significant. I mean, if people are one to Christ or a books, you know, changes a life or, you know, inspire people to love God or to worship God, those things are obviously very valuable and critical. But man, if I, if I don't succeed at home, then I'm not succeeding anywhere that matters to me. Mm -hmm. And so if I could choose, you know, that one thing would be said well of me uh, when I'm in the grave, it's, you know, it would be that I, I, I love my family. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and I loved them well. Yeah. What do you do for fun? I know a few things, but maybe a few surprises. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, I do love to hunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, just in the fall, fall months. Uh, but fish, I don't do it a lot, but I, I do really enjoy it. A lot of what I do actually right now is I just hang out at the house of my wife. Mm. You know, Biddy and I just uh, will sit out on the back deck and, and you know, we, we don't need a lot of activity to keep entertained. You know, we're, we're past that. We spend a lot of time with our kids and grandkids. That's a huge part of our of our life, you know, going to the baseball games of our grandson or whatever. So that's an important part of our life. Did, sure. I hear, did I hear something about bees? Bees? Yeah, got, we, yeah, we, that's my wife has bees. Oh, she got bees. Did, did you get stung, <laughs> stung yet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She has has bees. Yeah, I don't, okay. She, yeah. And that was fun because yeah. I know Will Hart, he, he does it, and then Eric started, and then I heard that the importation continue. And yeah, 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 we just harvested oh, about 60, 60 pounds plus, I think, of honey this week. So that's a whole bunch of honey. But yeah. yeah, and that's fun. Just, you know what, to be honest with you, anything that we do that's in the natural helps me. Yeah. Um, it, it's just going for a walk. Uh, 
the bees are fascinating. Uh, the garden, I'm not a gardener and I don't get into gardening, but I, but I, I really, I value that whole process. I feel like it reinforces my spiritual life is just staying connected to, to uh, natural things. So. And one of my, yeah, I was going to say one of my favorite moments with you. I mean, there's been so many over 20 years, but, I mean, we've seen some of the most amazing meetings and conferences, but driving around with your little four-wheeler on your property and, and just do life, or I got to shoot with a gun. And But I'm talking about that becomes more and more important. It's like the moments, Papa Jack, we, we got to... We got to do a lot of amazing things together, but the most, the thing that I miss the most is some of the moments where we just did life together. We sat in a jacuzzi and told story, or we were in a swim pool, or having some of the breakfast with our robes on and, and laughing. And suddenly I realized a lot of those moments are some of the, because I'm sitting now, I'm trying to write down what did Papa Jack mean to you and what do you miss the most? And I'm kind of going through that now. And I realized that some of those moments just, the talks, the laugh, doing life, and all these other things are kind of a second or or third on the list in regard to what we got to experience together. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's it's the non. You know, none of us do ministry for performance. I mean, that's that would be nauseating for all of us. But having said that, it's the non-performance mode that we get in where we're just with people and just doing life, whether it's going out to dinner or sitting in a hot tub or driving, <laughs> driving my Polaris around our 12 acres. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just fun. It is fun. It's fun, just, it's fun being together with people, sharing a meal, whatever it might be. That's, uh, it's, life is not as complicated as we've made it. It was actually fun. I was in Montana, had one of those moments where I, I kind of missed home. And I felt the Lord just told me I was, because I was ministering to somebody that nobody wanted kind of a thing. And I felt he just says, you have delighted yourself in me. I give you the desire of your heart. That verse came to me. And what I did, that's when I text you and say, Bill, when can I come over and just hang out with you for a day? And we went back and forth and, and I added that to my bucket list and you were very gracious and oh, there was room in your calendar. It was so much fun. So that, that you can come anytime. I'll make <laughs> you, can come. you show, I'll show you a good time. I promise if I'm home. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm also just curious because I know what you are living for and, and what is burning in you is a, is a revival fire and to see a joint, genuine revival. You've been a historian, you've been stewarding that, and you're building a culture, changing culture and thinking generational. But what do you believe is the biggest hindrance to revival? Well, what would be some of the hindrances? Because I think everybody's praying for it. We want it at some degrees. If, you, if you're looking at your experience or perhaps history, well, I think the number one hindrance is control, uh, trying to control what happens, how it happens, where it happens, when it happens. Uh, he doesn't want us in control. Um, I, I, there's a great book uh, by uh, William D. Ortega. I forgot the name of it now, but uh, in that book, if, if I could give an overly simplistic uh, um, general uh description of the book he basically says that every revival ended because people tried to control it mm. i would say that's one I, I, i'd say the second thing is that uh, it's just easy when you've been involved in what god is doing is to assume you know what he wants to do next and those assumptions are just dangerous because we don't know 
you know, we don't know if, if uh, you know, so many of the things he's done through the years, nobody ever would have anticipated. Um, it's just they followed the cloud, so to speak. They they didn't know what he was about to do. Nobody would have chosen, you know, some of the manifestations that he, the way he showed him, you know, revealed himself and how he touched people in Toronto or Azusa Street or, you know, these places throughout history, the Fulton Prayer Revival in New York in and, and 1859 and all these these things. They didn't enter into revival because they knew what God was going to do. They just wanted to draw near to him no matter what. And because of that, they became open to whatever God wanted to do. The Proverbs talks about this. Um, it says, to, a, uh, to a, a, a man who is full, uh, eating, he's full, any sweet thing is bitter. But to a famished man, any better thing is sweet. The point is, is when you realize your own need, you're much more open to anything God wants to do. But when you live contented, you actually become more selective on what God wants to do. And it's that, it's that selection, it's that selectivity, it's that the objection. I, God, you can touch me. I just don't want that, or I don't want that. That's that's. Uh, I think maybe our. Uh, our satisfaction without revival is the greatest resistance to revival. Wow. I was thinking, but I, I don't know if you know Don Gossett. He wrote the book, The Power of Your Words, and a few other things. And yeah, he spent, yeah. yeah, he spent some time with both uh, William Branham and, uh, and also, uh, yeah, a few of the other ones that was connected to the Great Healing Revival. And I, I asked him the question, what do you see? And you know, what, how did this stop? Because I knew his awareness with Catherine Coleman and other ones. And he said that it was not the great miracles, Leif. He said it was when we no longer was aware of the small things that God was doing. We were no longer impressed by the small things God was doing. That's when the dove lifted, he said. And that hit me. It was one of those moments that something hit me uh, because they, they, they forgot about the knee or anything, don't we have something greater? And that God started to move in a small way and we lost the awareness and the gratefulness of the small thing, he said. That's when the big thing stopped and then we started operating in the flesh. And that was just a one of those wisdom and moments that I never forgot. That's a brilliant insight. I believe that 100%. Yep. Yeah. Powerful. Just uh, one of the last thing I wanted to ask you now, I know you're aware of everything that's been going on in America and we're just kind of finishing uh, a good season here. And I think that we're all learning how to love well and honor well in the middle of everything that's going on. And, and I know I'm watching a lot of criticism towards people like you and, and, and a lot of us in our stream. So there's a lot of tension that is going on. And I know that in the middle of it, I've watched the beautiful way that you have responded to all of that. If you were to give some wisdom to us in this season, because I know that's one of your biggest gifts of how to both uh, guard our hearts, how to be able to protect uh, and, uh, and and to be able to steward some of the things that God is doing so that uh, we don't become bitter, but better because of it. And, and that everything that the enemy meant for evil, that God get to use this for good. Right. right. Well, I, you know, I honestly, I just, rem, I remind myself, uh, Jesus was perfect mm. and he suffered this kind of opposition. How can I expect <laughs> to not suffer the same opposition when I'm as far from perfect as I am? 
Mm. It just it stands to reason that if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to face some of what he's faced. And ours is much more logical. You know, me being criticized or opposed, it makes much more sense than ever criticizing Jesus. So you just you just realize this is very practical, number one. Number two, every bit of opposition um, is that whole uh, sailing thing against the wind. Every bit of opposition gives me an opportunity to enter more fully into what I've asked for. I look at opposition as an opportunity, honestly, for personal growth and adva- advancement. And so I can, I can be, th- I, you know, I, nobody likes, you know, when you're, when lies are told and that sort of thing. Nobody, nobody likes that. But, you know, at the same time, I don't know, it, it feels kind of like a treasured moment in a sense that the Lord would, the, the Lord would entrust me with some sort, this sounds weird, but it's like that he would entrust me with a moment of, of recognition that even though I'm, I'm criticized in that moment, the fact that he would promote me in a way that somebody would, would want to take it upon themselves to oppose me or criticize me, even that's a privilege. And, uh, and it gives me a chance to really grow. Um, even when lies or criticisms are told, you know, man, maybe there's a measure of truth in it. I, you know, I, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to get introspective and get all weird, but you know, it, it's much more logical for me to be criticized than it ever was for Jesus. So, I just try to give thanks in it, and uh, I figure if Jesus doesn't, uh, if He doesn't defend me, I'm not worth defending. So I don't need to do it myself, and uh, it, and it'll it'll come out, and it's opp- opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity for me to give God thanks. Uh, I'm able to give him an expression of thankfulness out of pain or disappointment that I wouldn't have a chance to give him in heaven. So, um, you know, I, I've, I've, had, I've had opposition. I remember I actually wrote one guy a letter and thanked him for the opposition. That was sincere. It's given me a real chance to, to grow and so, and I know I know that you one of the discipline and this is public, but I know in a private that you have a list. You take communion on a regular basis, but you also yeah, yeah. you have a list of three specific people that are or, or ministry that are coming against you and and speaking blessings over them, and you do that from a yeah. genuine heart. And that yeah. is uh, that is another thing that I've taken from you to learning. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, there's actually five, but three are international. Uh, yeah. Two are local. Mm. And uh, yeah, and just coming before the Lord, you know, um, if I'm praying for them and I'm truly from the heart praying for their benefit, their welfare, I don't pray against them. I don't accuse them. Mm-hmm. I don't remind God of something they've said. I, I don't I don't go there. They're not my the Proverbs warns about criticizing another man's servant. Well, they're not my servant. So I have no place to criticize them. So I, I bring their names before the Lord and I pray for them to be blessed inside and out, naturally, spiritually. And I pray that they would have children. That my big prayer for them is that they would have children and grandchildren that would love and serve God well. That, that would be their church legacy. And and, uh, and that's a genuine prayer because you know, some of these people who are criticizing me, you know, they genuinely love Jesus and they... You know, sometimes people believe a rumor, like there's this rumor that I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Well, that's, if he's not the Son of God, then we can't be saved. 
There's no purpose. You know, there's, there's no benefit for his offering. Um, so it's it's crazy. But what are they doing? They're they're opposing me out of their zeal for Jesus being the Son of God. So I understand that, and I go, yeah, Amen, Amen. Yeah. If the accusation was true, it'd be more warranted. But at least they're showing what they believe in, and and so you know. That's, that's my approach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one more, and I say one more. This is the second time I landing the plane, but I was thinking, yeah. well, I, I think a lot of us, we know what the enemy is doing, where the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's very easy to make a list. You yeah. get the Old Testament and a newspaper. The second thing, a lot of people are being distracted now by what God is not doing because they don't see what God is doing. And my question to you is, what are you seeing God is doing, both in America and around the world? What is God up to in the middle of all of that? And how can we join him in what he is doing and what he is blessing? Because I know this is something that uh, the sons of Issachar that understand the time, but also know what to do. Well, you know, the Lord gave us a real specific word. It's been monumental for us. He gave us a word, I'm going to guess now, maybe four months ago, maybe four, maybe five months, somewhere back there. Um, and it came, strangely, it came out of a Rocky movie, Rocky Three, where he wanted to, he was now rich and famous and established as a fighter. And, um, and there was this young guy that was hungry and he, and Rocky wanted to fight him. And his trainer says, I won't train you. And he says, why won't you train me? You've been with me all this time. I need you. And he says, I won't train you. He says, he'll kill you. He'll kill you to death was his exact phrase. And so it's just a long, drawn-out scene. Honestly, the Lord spoke to us out of this scene, uh, before the scene. The scene then came in and kind of reaffirmed it. And so he sits down on the couch with the trainer, and the trainer says, we've become too civilized. And uh, and that spoke to us as as wow. a movement. We, we, we know we're too good at what we know to do. Mm. And I don't mean that in any self-flattering way. No. It's actually, it's not a criticism, but it's, it's a vulnerability. It's saying, you know what? We're not as aware of what we don't know as we used to be. We used to be much more aware of what we didn't know. Wow. And, uh, and it started something here where we just started, you know, we couldn't meet corporately. So we just pitched this huge tent outside that could seat oh, five, 800 people, something like that. And we and no sides to the tent. So in the winter, it's cold, it's windy, it's rainy. Mm. We just met in this tent night after night to pray. Sunday nights, we'd get there for a couple hours and worship and pray. And just returning to what got us here. Mm. What got us here was humility of heart, seeking the face of the Lord, just willing to give all, do all. And that's what got us here. That's what got us into the breakthroughs that, that have become, uh, you know, well-known. Uh, in the earth and uh, that's what got us here so we we backed way up in everything we did and we said we're going to meet let's pray Mm. and so that's what we did and that glory began to reappear again that manifested presence of the lord began to just fill that tent and uh it was it's just glorious 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 so we've just we've really backed up and simplified tried to as much as we know how to simplify to that daily dependence on the presence on the glory wow and uh you know not being irresponsible we still do what we're assigned to do but we we are face to face with this realization i love we really need to live in the glory and uh, we we need to 
we need to not think we know as much as we know. And uh, so that's been our lesson. It's very interesting because on my birthday, Papa Jack was kind of a massage on my shoulder. We were sitting there and I've had this, the, the Lord just was bringing me back to David when he said, I wish I could go back and drink from that pure water of Bethlehem that was near the gate. So why why Bethlehem? And then I remember that's where he learned how to be faithful in the natural. That's when he learned how to play a harp, not to be a worship leader. That's when he practiced the sling, not to kill a giant, but it was back to that stage, Bethlehem season. And that became very, well, he took care of lamb, not because of, or was willing to give his life for the lamb. He developed the heart of a lamb before he started to operate with the authority of the lion. So that became very precious for me, very similar to what you were saying, that it's not about the throne so much for David, but when his guys recognized the main thing was the main thing. He wanted to drink from that pure water from Bethlehem. These guys were willing to give their life to get hold of that. There was a supernatural courage that came out of the guys around them. So anyway, that, that happened in January 13, but around that time, it was something the Lord has been ministering to me early on this year that is very similar. I love that. I love that. It's beautiful. Do you mind just praying for us and just blessing us, Bill? This, <laughs> wow, I feel that. I'm getting hungry right now. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Father, we, we, turn our, we turn our hearts to you and we just acknowledge our absolute dependence upon your release of the Spirit of God over us. I thank you for the infilling of the Spirit. And I'm praying that that glory, the glory of God, would be that which rests upon our lives in ways that we've never known before. And she take us back to the old gym, the, the <laughs> simple, the simple moments that we had early on. It's it's returning to our first love, doing the deeds we did at first. Uh, I'm asking that that would be such a central part to the recovery of the church in this season. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we just we thank you for the privilege of being alive at a time of crisis, and that we get to we get to live with such undeniable hope and i honor you for that and i pray for that blanket of hope to rest upon this this body of believers in jesus name amen thanks for listening if you enjoyed today's episode you can follow leif on social media at leif hetland and sign up for our weekly newsletter at globalmissionawareness.com